The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Ask the question is what would bring your what would bring you deep and significant joy? Right? Um, now that may be kind of a strange question to some, and uh, oftentimes within the church and within Christian circles, uh, I think the message gets communicated that you know to be a Christian is the antithesis of pers- the pursuit of joy. That uh, if you're going to be a real Christian. You give up on joy, you give up on happiness, and you resign yourself to kind of a life of misery because everybody knows that God does not want you to be happy, right? Uh, sadly, that's oftentimes how things get communicated by the church. And the reason for that is that oftentimes, if we're honest, uh, you know, if we're really honest with ourselves, and we were to ask, what would, what would make my life better? How many times does the answer to that involve something that is probably sin, right? <laughs> And uh, it's like, man, you know, what, what I really want, what I really could go for is uh, something that I'm not sure I'm supposed to do. To do. And so, so we know that a lot of the things that would bring gratification and pleasure in life are sinful, and we know we're not supposed to do that. So the message that gets communicated is, well, Christianity is running away from everything good, fleeing from happiness, and being sentenced to a life of kind of misery and gloom. Uh, but that's not true. And while sin is a constant battle in our life, the reality and the truth is that God created us and loves us, and God's deep desire is that we would experience true and lasting joy. Uh, I believe it is God's heart uh, and longing to see our needs met and to find true fulfillment and joy. Uh, And the reality is that a lot of our sense of how we would answer that question, what would make my life better, what would really make me happy, will be traced back to some area of our life, some need in our life that we feel is unmet or unfulfilled. Uh, The areas where we are well taken care of, you know, are not an issue. It's those things in our life that are unmet needs, unfulfilled desires. We think, you know, if I could just get that, if I could just get fulfilled in that area, I would be happy. And, and God created us that way. Okay, needs are not in themselves sinful. In fact, God created us with these needs and these longings. It's part of what it means to be a human being. So to, to deny our needs is not the solution, as some religions would, would uh, assert. Uh, God created us with needs, and God intends to fulfill those needs, and it's the fulfillment of those needs and desires that oftentimes give us the experience or the sense of joy. So, for example, if you're here this morning and you didn't eat enough breakfast and you're now hungry and the smell of the barbecue's wet wifting past your nose, right, uh, you would say, what would make me happy is if I, if I could eat, right? That would satisfy my hunger, a full stomach. If you're here this morning and you're feeling anxious and fearful about something, and you're just feeling kind of stressed out about life, well, your answer would be the resolution of that, that there would be a greater sense of safety or security that would meet that need in your life. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're lonely. 
And uh, you'd say, well, you know, if I could just have a friend, somebody who really cared about me, who understood me. Uh, for some of us, that's a tall order, uh, somebody who would understand us. Uh, and we think if we had that, we would be happy, right? Uh, maybe you're not feeling real good about your marriage. And so you would answer that question, you know, if I just had a spouse who really understood me, really knew how to take care of me and love me the way I want to be loved. I know they try to love me, but they're clueless, right? And uh, if they just knew how to really, you know, what I really need, that would make me happy, right? Um, Maybe you're feeling uh, like you are failing, like you are a failure. You've tried things, but it hasn't been successful. And uh, it's discouraging, right? It's discouraging when you work at things and it doesn't work out the way you plan. And you just feel like your life is a failure. Uh, and God didn't create us that way. And so when we feel those things, we're not going to be happy. And we would say, man, I just wish I could be successful at something. I wish I could do something well. I could, I could meet with su- success in my life. Um, to be productive and significant, that would make me happy. Uh, maybe you feel a sense of kind of worthlessness. Right? You just feel like you, your life has no value. And I, I hate to stereotype, I could get in huge trouble for this, but I could see men and ladies perhaps, perhaps, okay, my disclaimer, perhaps answering this in two different ways. If you feel worthless, maybe ladies would say, you know, I, I need to be loved by someone who values me. All right, a husband or a guy or some other person who values me, that would make me feel worth. Or for guys, maybe they would say, I need to accomplish something that will give me honor. Right? And that would make me feel worth, worthwhile. But you can go on down the list. Uh, character flaws, physical flaws, things we would change about ourselves. All of those are legitimate, God-given desires at some level. And happiness, joy in our life, happens when those needs are met or when we have the hope that they will be met. Um, So the reality is that this is a huge topic because it's what really drives our life. And if you don't believe this, just turn on uh, any TV, turn on any, you know, open any magazine, look at any signboard, and every single advertisement ever is trying to answer that question, what will make you happy? And some of them are kind of quite silly. You know, what will really make you happy is if you have white teeth. You know, if you have white teeth, you'll be happy because you'll have a beautiful smile and everywhere you go, people will, lo- will fall in love with you, right? Um, that's what advertising is. It's the promise that they're going to take care of those deep longings and needs of your life. Uh, so... So how does, this, uh, how does this work for us as Christians? Well, I, I'm convinced that God wants us to be pursuing happiness. He wants us to be pursuing joy. Right? Now, maybe you grew up in a church, uh, kind of the typical church. I, I pastored a church like this back in the States, a little country, rural church, where most of the old people in the church had become thoroughly convinced that they could never find happiness and they had become thoroughly entrenched in misery and, and bitterness and emptiness, right? So much so that they had like this scowl permanently welded on their face, right? And, and it, this happened oftentimes on Sunday morning. Kids would come in who were full of joy. I mean, they're just bubbling with joy. And they'd come into the sanctuary spreading joy everywhere, laughing and playing and living joyfully, right? And every Sunday, this is what would happen. The person with the scowl welded on their face, you know, who's determined that God can't like this, 
would chase these little kids all around the sanctuary going, you don't be having fun in church. You know, get out of here. And I remember, you know, my kids coming to me in tears. The scary man chased us out of church. Right? Right? Okay, well, so a lot of people, that's the experience of Christianity. Right? How dare we have fun? How dare we experience joy? But I believe and I'm convinced that that's really misunderstanding God's heart and God's purpose. Uh, God, I'm convinced, longs for us to have joy. The problem is how we go about acquiring joy, right? That's the issue. Not that we pursue joy, but where we pursue it. And that's really illustrated in the story in Genesis chapter 35 with Jacob and his sons. We started this last week looking at the order, the right order of worship. We're going to pick it up again, same story, but some different points. And I'll start reading in Genesis 34, verse 30, to give the context. It says, Afterward, uh, after Jacob's sons had just attacked the city of Shechem and destroyed it, killed all the males, pillaged all of its wealth, and, and taken captive all of its women and children. After that, Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have ruined me. You've made me stink among all the people of this land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. We are so few that they will join forces and crush us. I will be ruined and my my entire household will be wiped out. So right at this moment, Jacob is not feeling happy, right? He's feeling quite unhappy. And he has identified the source of his unhappiness, this great fear and insecurity that he's about to be wiped out by the Canaanites. He's one little family and this whole nation of people. He's just by his sons, really ticked them off. And so he's fearful for his life. He's feeling very threatened. So he's not a happy camper. Then uh, in verse chapter 35, verse 1, God said to Jacob, Get ready and move to Bethel and settle there. So Bethel, just so you know, Bethel means going not uh, around Canaan. It doesn't mean going away from Canaan. It means actually going right to the heart of Canaan. Right? So he's saying, i got good news for you, Jacob. You think you've got problems now. I want you to go and move deeper into Canaanite territory. And I want you to go there and build an altar to the God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So he says, remember, when you were fleeing from Esau and you were fleeing for your life then, remember what you did. You went to Bethel, and at Bethel, God appeared and revealed himself to Jacob and promised that he would take care of him, he would provide for him, and he would protect him, and that throughout his days, God would be with him. So Jacob told Uh, Everyone in his household, get rid of all your pagan idols, purify yourselves, and put on clean clothing. We are now going to Bethel, where I will build an altar to the God who answered my prayers when I was in distress. He has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all their pagan idols and earrings, and he buried them under the great tree near Shechem. As they set out, a terror from God spread over the people in all the towns of that area so that no one attacked Jacob and his family. Uh, God is is meeting Jacob and has met Jacob every time he's felt needs, right? And I love it. He says, we're going to go worship the God who answered my prayer when I called out, right? Uh, That's the nature of God. What God wants to do, what he wants to identify himself, how he wants to be known in our life, is he wants to be known as the God who answers our prayer when we cry out to him for help. That ought to be uh, the defining image we have of God. 
God as helper. And if you don't believe that, you just need to, I mean, you need to really look through Scripture, read through Scripture, and see how often that's the place or role of God. God is our very present help. He's our helper. He's our stronghold. And God wants to reveal himself that way to Jacob. Uh, so he, God appears to him in his insecurity, and he says, don't worry, uh, I will protect you. You need to go to Bethel, and you need to worship me there. You need to build an altar. So Jacob instinctively knows that if he's going to go up and worship God, he's got to deal with some things in his life. And so he goes to his family, and uh, he recognizes that his family is looking for joy in all the wrong places. And he says to them, you need to get rid of all the strange or false gods among you. And apparently, uh, we don't know where these, where these pagan idols, these false gods, came from. Uh, there's a couple of possibilities. We know that uh, Rachel brought some with her, if you remember, uh, from her father Laban's house. So we don't know if she's been passing these out. She brought them all. And she says, okay, I got gifts for you all, you know, just in case the God of Jacob falls short. I got a backup plan, right? It's possible. It's also possible that when they raided Shechem, uh, that they took all of their gods. And uh, which is, I, I was, I never understood how this works. Okay, you raid a, and they do this. They would do this all the time. You raid a company, you country, you destroy them. Okay, and you steal the gods who could not protect them. And you hope they help you. Okay, how brilliant is that? But that's how it worked back then. Uh, we don't know where they came from, but, uh, but we know they had them, right? And Jacob knows that if you're going to go worship Almighty God, you can't go with idols. Now, to really understand how idols work in the Old Testament and really how it applies to us, you need to understand the function of an idol. Uh, they had these false gods. They could be anything from tiny little carved things to big, tall poles, um, the point was a false god, and literally it's the word strange god, alien god. Okay? And the idea is that uh, the, the majority of their needs centered around good crops and everything that would be related to having good crops, right? Rain, uh, good harvest, all that kind of stuff. And also fertility, so having lots of children and your, your, your cattle and sheep and flocks producing offspring. Uh, that was their primary felt need. And if you were to ask... Jacob or his sons, uh, what would make you happy? It would be, you know, lots of children, lots of crops, lots of sheep, you know, lots of goats, lots of lambs, right? That's how they would describe it. Um, well, uh, these, these small idols, these little gods, would promise to help in specific areas. So like you have the rain god that's good at making rain. You have the god who's a fertility god that can help your sheep produce more sheep. Um, that's how their gods work. So they would keep these as kind of good luck charms, as things they would turn to to bring what they thought they needed so they would be happy. Um, And of course the problem was that they were seeking help from everything but the true and living God. Uh, For us, a false God, you know, has expanded a little bit. Since we can just go to Lotus, most most of us are not looking for like the successful harvest God because we kind of got that one covered, you know. Um, in our day and age, most of us aren't hoping to have 15 children. Um, so we're actually not, we're not going for that, God, you know. Um, we, we, we have different gods, but they work and function the same. Uh, it's anything that we trust to satisfy or we look to to satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. 
Anything that we turn to to add value, meaning, purpose, joy, or security to our life apart from God. Right? Uh, it would be much easier back in the Old Testament times, you know, because they kept their gods on their shelf or around their neck, okay, like we see a lot of places around Asia. It's a lot easier to identify those kind of idols. Our idols are a lot more subtle. Our, our idols can be quite sneaky because we don't have them sitting on our shelf or on a chain around our neck. But it doesn't mean that we are any less prone to look to things to take care of us. Right? Uh, anytime our human needs or desires take precedence over God, it becomes an idol. So what that means is, anytime we would say, you know, I have this need, whatever it is, you fill in the blank, and I'm pretty sure that God doesn't care about it, or it's not important to Him, or He's not good enough to take care of that need, so I'm going to go find a way to meet that need outside and apart from God. Okay, then that thing and the way we do it becomes an idol. Right? Now the need itself is not sin, but the way we choose to fulfill it apart from God's purpose and plan is an idol. So here's some uh, short list of modern day false gods. Money, control, stuff, okay, toys, gadgets, electronic devices, things. You know, the other day I was looking on my desk and I just lined up all my electronic toys. It's like, wow, <laughs> no idols here. Uh, work, work, okay. I get my meaning, my significance through my work. Uh, sex, ministry, okay. Can ministry be an idol? Absolutely. Uh, our comfort, our personal comfort. Uh, personal glory, right. entertainment. Uh, adventure. Okay, that's just a, a short list of some of the things that can be idols. Now, are the things in themselves evil? No. Okay? The problem is that we turn to these things as our source of joy and happiness. Right? We seek to find fulfillment by means of these things apart from God. Okay? And when that, anytime that happens in our life, it becomes an idol. It is an idol. It is a false god. And there's two problems with false gods. First problem is that they're false. All right? um, it's not the true source of joy. And when God, you know, when God calls, and, and Jacob and, and God throughout the Old Testament and, and New, calls us to, to throw away our idols, okay? it's not because God is a cosmic killjoy that's going, you're having way too much fun. You know, you're... Your, I, your iPhone is just causing you way too much happiness, and I don't want you to be happy, so get rid of it. Right? It's not the way it works. Right? God, God does not say, you know, you're way too comfortable. If you're a real, you know, if you're a real missionary, if you're a real Christian, you would, you would like live on the street in a cardboard box, you know, because that's what real Christians do. You're just way too comfortable. No, okay? God's not, lo- God's not longing for us to be miserable. But this is the deal. When we turn to false, empty things as, as the source of fulfilling those needs and desires in our life, they're false. And anything that's false, if it, if it provides something for us, one or two things have to be true. Number one, it's not good. Right? James promises that every good and gift, perfect gift comes from where? God. God alone. Okay? Anything that's good in your life, no, no matter how it got to you, if it's a good thing in your life, it came from God. 
not from anything else. Right? So if, if we're looking to false things, and it's something good that's been provided through that, it's because that false God has stole it from God and become the channel into our life. So we're giving credit to the wrong place. Right? We're giving credit to something that's nothing for providing for us. Um, the second thing about it, of course, anything that's false, when, when, we, when we turn to it, we are putting what is false or what is a lie above God Almighty. So now, God who created all things, who is the source of all things, the God who, from whom all good things come, uh, if we're not acknowledging Him as the source of those things, and we've turned to a false God, we're now worshiping and giving credit to that false thing as the source of our, uh, our happiness, the source of our life, right? And God's a jealous God because it's false. He, he, he wants us, He is the source of all good, and He wants us to acknowledge Him as the source of, of all that's good. And so when we, uh, when we turn to false things, we put things above God and we give them our worship instead of God. In Romans 1, God makes it very clear uh, that that's detestable to Him, right? So we've got to be very careful. Uh, we've got to be very careful how we handle the things that God has given us and how we use them to fulfill our needs, right? Uh, we've got to make sure we give God glory. So uh, the, his family, Jacob's family, complies and they give him all of their idols and Jacob buries them, right? As, as God reveals to you things in your life that you are pursuing as a means of meeting your needs apart from Him, uh, there's only one, one way to deal with it. You've got to bury it. You've got to turn away from it and bury it. Right? Uh, God really revealed this truth to me many, a couple of years, well, a few years ago. I don't know when, but reading, I was reading John chapter 15. And uh, John 15, familiar passage where, where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And I was really reflecting on what it meant for God to be the, for Jesus to be the vine and me to be the branch. And, uh, you know, the, the picture of that is that, that the sap flows up right through the vine and out to the branch. And I kind of got that, that, you know, God spiritually wants to give me spiritual life through Jesus. And I was thanking God for that and meditating on this. And I felt God say to me, no, you're not getting it. He says, what you're not understanding is I don't want to just meet your spiritual needs through Christ. I want to do that. But what it means for me to be the vine and you to be the branches is that I want to meet every need, every need through Christ. Right? And I was like, I was, just kind of, I was kind of shocked by that. Every need. Uh, can you do that? <laughs> That's my first thought. Can you really do that? Um, yeah, God is the source of all good things. Right? So we need to bury every means in our life of finding our needs met apart from the supply and provision of Christ. Uh, now, for them, as I said, this would be so much easier if our idols were little statues this big because we could take them out in our backyard, we could dig a hole, we could bury it. But you, you would say, well, you know, my idol is money. You, you mean I'm supposed to just not use money? Right? Uh, am I not, you know, am I not s- supposed to... How do I get rid of some of these things that I am dependent on daily? Well, we do need to bury them. Uh, doesn't mean we can't use these things, 
But it means we need to bury and walk away from their power and control over our life as a source of joy. We need money to live. We don't need money to buy most of the stuff that we buy, right? We could live much simply. And if this is something you wrestle with, uh, I know someone who felt this was an issue in their life and they know they need money to have to buy things. But they committed to uh, not buy anything non-essential for one whole year. Okay? Just not, buy nothing non-essential for one whole year. Try that, okay? To sort out, you know, where money is a God in your life. Right? Um, when you're in, and here's the question. Here's the, here's the thing. When, when you feel needs cropping up in your life and something screaming out to you, I need this taken care of, right? Do you take it to God in prayer and say, God, here's a need in my life. I seek you to be the supply of it. Or do we rush off with our, you know, our wad of cash or our whatever, take control of our life and meet our need ourselves? Uh, we need to bury those idols. We need to break their power over our life. We need to identify them. Right? We need to identify the things in our life that have power over us. And then Jacob says, you need to bury them, you need to purify yourselves, and you need to put on clean clothing. Uh, for them, that meant taking a bath. Right? Uh, it meant putting on new clothes. For us, it means so much more, doesn't it? Purifying ourselves, being made clean. Right? The, the reality is that False gods corrupt us. And the reality is that anything in our life that's sin is traced back to an idol. Because right? sin is simply trying to meet our needs apart from God's plan. That's what sin is. Uh, when we identify those things in our life and how we have sought to meet our needs our own way through my own plan, uh, there's a need for cleansing. And praise God that you know, the blood of Jesus flows freely for all of us. And daily, you know, they could cleanse their bodies. We can cleanse our souls. We can go to God and say, God, you know, this, this, this has been an idol in my life. I want to bury it. And I pray for your cleansing blood to purge my soul of its, its, its stain on my, on my life. Right? Praise God, you know, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. The blood of Christ washes us. But not only that, he says you guys need to change your clothes, right? Um, how many of you like getting dressed up? Anybody? Some of you actually look pretty nice this morning. I'm impressed. How many of you just absolutely don't like dressing up? Okay, where's Stefan? He's back there. <laughs> we made Stefan, uh, who does not like to dress up, we had some government officials come into our office, and we made him put on his only clean shirt to meet these government officials, right? And he's still wearing it. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was the same shirt. He got so excited he won't take it off. <sighs> yeah. Why do we dress up? You know, we get, when there's a wedding, a celebration, we dress up. Why? Well, because it makes us feel better. I mean, it makes us more presentable, right? Some of us, you know, when you put a suit on us, we look like a whole, I, I look like a totally different person. I get really dressed up with a suit and tie and everything. People don't recognize me. I go, wow. <laughs> right? I don't really like it. I'm one of those guys who doesn't like to dress up. Uh, we are t- he says, you're to, you're, to, you're to change your life. You're to put on a new you, right? Same thing. Old Testament, that was limited. New Testament, it's a whole different deal. In Christ, uh, it's not just about putting on a nice shirt to go to church. It's about putting on the righteousness of Christ. 
Colossians 3 says this, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful things, the earthly things lurking within you. Right? The sinful things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy. For a greedy person is an idolater. Right? Worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you have stripped off your old sinful nature. You stripped off your old clothes. And you have put on, put on the clothes of a new nature to be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are Jew or free or Gentile, He lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the people He loves, you must clothe yourself with, a tender, with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience right? that's, that's our new clothes we're to be washed and cleansed we're to turn away from idols we're to be washed in the blood of Christ and we are to put on a new nature right? so here's the deal if you want to, if you want to know joy and happiness uh, don't look for it in the wrong place uh, put away those idols be washed, cleansed be putting on a new nature in Christ Um, from there, they've prepared for worship, right? They put on uh, these new clothes. And then it says that uh, Jacob and his family left, uh, left and, and went to Bethel. They built an altar and, there God, uh, and worshiped God there and named the place El Bethel, which means God of Bethel. Um, Jacob celebrates by building an altar and worshiping God. Uh, again, things in the Old Testament are so concrete and simple. Um, what does it mean to build altars? You know, we got the pig roasting out there. Does that count? <laughs> you know? uh, is, how, do we do, how do we build altars of worship to God? Do we go out in our backyard and pile a bunch of stones up and have a barbecue? Uh, that can be worship. But I think there's more to it. Uh, and let me just give three quick Examples of what uh, worship can be. Uh, Romans 12.1 puts it this way. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Uh, One of the ways we build altars is by giving our life to serving God. And the last word there, the idea it's translated as reasonable worship or spiritual worship or your worship of service. The word was used for Levites and priests for their carrying out their duties in the temple. Uh, And the carrying out of those duties was considered to be service, but it was also considered to be worship. One of the ways we build altars to God is by giving our lives in thankfulness to Him. And again, without retelling last week's message, there's an order to worship, right? Worship comes in response to what God has done. In response, Jacob 
worships. In response, we give our lives to service. So all of you who signed up, you know, that's worship. That's worship. I learned this when I was 16 years old working at a Bible camp, and I had the wonderful job of cleaning all the bathrooms. Huge camp, you know. And, uh, and I learned that, believe it or not, cleaning toilets is worship, right? It's worship. Okay, forget this, you know, praise singing stuff. Let's go clean bathrooms. Okay, real worship. Okay, Romans 12.1, the worship of service. Uh, second way we can build an altar, John 15.8, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Okay, we build altars by being fruitful. Okay, we build altars uh, of worship when God uses us to bear fruit in our life and in the lives of others. So praise God. You know, many of us, you know, I, I would guess the majority, maybe all of us in this room are giving our lives to serving. Right? To, we're here because we want to be fruitful. We want our life to count for something. We want to multiply the grace and mercy of God in the world around us. Okay, that's a beautiful altar of worship to God. It says, and this is my Father glorified when, when we bear fruit. Right? Third altar is the altar of the sacrifice of praise. First Peter 2.5 says, and you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. And what's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Right? So we offer spiritual sacrifices uh, sadly, we don't really go around so much killing things and burning them. Uh, I, I think you can if you want. I think, though, for God, it, it actually means more if you're, like, thankful. <laughs> if you express with your mouth praise to Him. Right? If you worship Him with the sacri- spiritual sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. Uh, well, the story ends this way. It says, soon after, um, soon after this... Rebecca's old nurse, Deborah, died. She was buried beneath the oak tree in the, in the valley below Bethel. And ever since, the tree has been called Alan Bakuth, which means oak of weeping. Now that Jacob had returned from Padan, Aram, God appeared to him again at Bethel. And God blessed him, saying, Your name is Jacob, but you will not be called Jacob any longer. From now on, your name will be Israel. So God named him Israel. Then God said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. You will become a great nation, even many nations. Kings will be among your descendants, and I will give you the land I once gave to Abraham and Isaac. Yes, I will give it to you and your descendants after you. I love that it ends there, and I think it's significant that it ends there. Uh, God had promised... Jacob, his faithful presence, right? And Jacob had responded in faith and had followed God faithfully. Uh, and God's presence, we learn in Genesis, means three things. It means, first of all, that God protects. It means that God provides. And it means that God leads, right? Uh, where does joy come from? Well, it comes from having our needs met, being provided for, being protected, being taken care of, right? See, God's promising to do all that's required to bring joy into his life. Now, some of you will say, okay, you know, in principle I believe that, but in experience it doesn't work out that way for me, right? 
Have you ever felt like, God, yeah, sure, he provides, but he's always two weeks late? Have you ever had that experience? Um, that God provides, but it's never enough. Right? Uh, have you ever felt that way? Uh, you feel like your needs oftentimes are overwhelming. You know, if God's taking such good care of me, then why is it sometimes I feel so uncared for? Right? If we're honest, sometimes it feels that way. Okay, why is it? And you know, Jacob's a good example here in this story. You know, his family just made him a huge stench in the nostrils of the Canaanites. He's fearful for his, for his life. It would be easy for Jacob to say, God, if you really care for me, why am I in this mess? Right? Why am I fearing for my life? Maybe you feel that way. Maybe at times you feel that God is not so good at this taking care of us thing. Right? Why is that? Well, there's a couple reasons. There's probably many reasons I don't understand. Uh, but it does seem often that God's principle means of operating is to draw out our needs to the point of absolute misery on our part. Okay? That's almost some kind of torture. But I'm pretty sure God's not actually trying to torture me. Uh, I think there's a couple reasons, though, that I know of. One is it is the process of building in his faith. Okay? If God always instantly met our needs, perhaps even before we knew we needed it, okay, there would be no development of faith on our part. But secondly, and this is really a more important principle, and this will sound, you may, maybe you'll think this is insane, but I think it's very true. Joy comes most when our needs are the greatest. Right? We experience the greatest joy in the face of the greatest needs. Uh, back many, many years ago, I, I used to love to ride my bicycle and would tour all over, all over the countryside. And I remember one particular day going to this very long bike ride, I don't know, 60 miles or something, and it was hot, and I'd driven a, you know, across this long distance, and uh, I was just dying of thirst, wilting, right? And um, I had in my vision, in Buena Vista, there was this burger, I think it was burger time, I forget the name of this little burger shop, right? And I got, I got to burger time, and I was so thirsty, and I bought a cherry limeade, and I think it descended from heaven. This is like the best cherry limeade I'd ever drank in my life. And I just drank it, and I just thought, man, it, nothing could be any better than this cherry limeade. And uh, I went back to that place many times after that in my car, and they never made it as good. Right? This was never as good. I don't know what was wrong. Right? Uh, that's a principle of how life works, Right? When our need is greatest, our joy of its fulfillment is deepest, right? And God wants us, he wants us to get where it comes from, and he wants us to appreciate it, right? Uh, we all know as parents, there's nothing worse than just indiscriminately throwing things at our kids that they don't really want or ask for or need, and they don't appreciate it, right? We spoil them, and there's no joy in that, okay? There's, there's something about the joy of suffering first, right? And God knows this, right? He loves you and he wants you to enjoy it more so he lets you suffer longer. Right? Do you like that? Not really. But God does, right? Because that's how it works. Right? He wants us to know our need and he wants to know who it is that meets our need. And he wants to test whether or not we will turn to him and wait for him to meet it. Um, 
here God promises, like, I, I'm going to take care of you, Jacob. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to transform your life. I'm going to abundantly pour out my riches in your life. Uh, perhaps the best illustration of this is what we as parents experience. Uh, you know, if you're a parent, uh, you, you get a new little child, this new little baby, and, you know, you want to make them happy. Uh, one of the reasons crying is such a powerful thing is when little babies cry, we want to fix it. We want them to be happy. Right? And I remember reading, I don't know where I saw this, somebody's prayer letter, newsletter. So it was from you. Thank you. Great illustration. So he said that when their kids were, uh, when they had their first child, at Christmas time, they wanted their new little one-year-old to be really happy. So they went out and bought like every single toy imaginable. Every toy, right? Christmas comes and you know, they give the baby the toy who can't actually open the wrapper. So they open it and give it the toy to him and the baby just stares there blankly, not at all excited. So they give him another toy, tears the wrapper off, nothing, no response, right? Go through all the toys. So there's this huge pile of toys. Nothing seems to interest the child. And when it's all done, you know, the parents are feeling kind of discouraged and the baby crawls over to the pile of empty paper and starts playing with all the Christmas wrappers, right? And it's having a blast. Parents are coming, we just spent $500 for nothing. Next Christmas, what does the parent do? True story. They bought him a bag full of wrapping paper. Kid loved it, right? We want to make our kids happy. If we as earthly parents want to make our kids happy, how much more does God want to pour his joy into your life, right? God longs for it for you, right? Do we believe that he's a good God? Do we believe he cares, right? Let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you that you are a God who is good, that you are our Father and we are your children. And Lord, you hate idols because it derails us from true joy and true peace and true life. And it misunderstands the true source of everything good in the, in the world and the universe. And Lord, we fall into right order and our worship makes sense and our life makes sense when we come to grips with you as the Creator God who is the source of everything. And we're willing to pursue you and trust you to meet every need in our life. So Lord, this morning, help us to just take inventory of our own life. And Lord, we all have needs. And and right now, just invite everyone to take a minute and say, right now, what's the need of my life? What's gnawing in my soul? Uh, An unmet need, an unfulfilled dream. Uh, the thing that's leaving me feeling kind of empty. I just invite you to lift that up to God and say, God, I don't want to meet this need by any other means than from your hand. And I'm willing to wait on you. And in the meantime, I will be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. I will put on the clothing of righteousness and a changed life. And I will pursue joy from my relationship with you, knowing that in the right time, 
you will meet every need by your faithful and loving hand. And so we can worship you. We can celebrate your grace. We can celebrate your wonderful gifts. We thank you, Lord Jesus, and praise you in your name. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.